as I was starting to think and pray about this morning, I actually felt that the really important issue for this morning is your story. And yes, I can tell every you know I can tell my story, and and I'll do that. I'm I'll be sharing some of that. But I want you, as you start to hear what you know, how the Lord's led led Betty and I. How's the Lord leading you? What's your story? I don't just mean your history. You're born such and such, and you know, all your history. That's a part of it, of course. But what's your God story? Where did God intersect? with you in your life. Who can remember the day or the time or the season, sometimes it takes a little while, when you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him? Who who can remember that? You can remember that? I guess, you know, I mean, sometimes you have a pre-salvation story where people witness to you, maybe you're brought up in a Christian family, whatever happened, but somewhere along the line, God broke in. I like the word revive. Good word. We... We came to live, well, we didn't live again, we'd actually been dead in our sins, um, but we came alive. But then regularly, we do need to revive, live again. And uh, so, very important. So, you know, while I'm talking this morning, what if I asked you to do homework and uh, write a, even just a sketchy one page of the God story that is your life? Where has God, hopefully more than once, intersected with you? broken into your life, and especially at times of challenges. And as perhaps some miracle has come your way or something has come into your life. As I look back into my life, I see it a mixture of Ian Shelton trying to solve Ian Shelton's issues and of God coming in and solving what actually I couldn't have solved anyway and I was in a bit of a mess over. And that's been the story of my life. And I wouldn't be surprised, the story of many of your lives, that God comes and saves us, not only from our sins and the devil, but from (laughs) ourselves. And sometimes, as uh, Martin Luther said, I fear my own self more than the Pope and all his cardinals. Sometimes it's self that's the real enemy. I heard someone say yesterday, the trouble with self is that it's not, for many people, it's the source of life and the destination. Source and destination. So if we're living in that kind of a mix, your story's going to not be a really healthy story, ultimately. So we want a God story. What's your story? So you got your piece of paper out and you're all starting to write? Well, when you go home, you can do that. Uh, there. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, just a, it's just a little. I actually came to faith when I was 15, a long time ago, a long, long time ago. Um, so, But I, I just want to... Um, briefly touch a few things from the past. July 1974, another brother and I were out at Cecil Plains praying. What are we in Toowoomba for? We hadn't long been here, about a year and a half. Uh, we'd come up from, I'd, Betty and I were farmers over in the South Burnet and we'd gone to Brisbane to train to be Methodist minister and got waylaid into the charismatic thing and the Methodists weren't all that uh, keen about uh, charismatics uh, in those days. And anyway, sir, a long story, short story, uh, God moved us to Toowoomba. We were surprised to be here. We didn't expect to. We didn't really want to. Uh, but God made it clear that I should be here. And I met another brother who I'd known somewhere before. And we started praying together. And we we're sitting in a hay shed uh, out of Cecil Plains at some friend's place saying, God, what do you want to do with us? And there God spoke to us 
And um, this scripture will be known to many of you. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Who's heard of that scripture? Okay, now, if you were like me, I just thought, you, singular, I'm a temple of God. Of course, you know, that's, um, you know, that's what you think. But that's actually not what it says in the original language. What it really says, and this is the amplified version, do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple, God's house, God's family, God's people, the whole church at Corinth. And that phrase just jumped out at me and was like God was screaming at me, the whole church of Toowoomba is God's temple. One family, one people. And I'd never heard of that concept in my life. I'd never read about it. It was just wild back there in 1974. And I thought I had a world-leading revelation that no one had ever heard of before in creation. I soon discovered that wasn't far from the truth. I was just an isolated little uh, ex-farmer sitting up here. Uh, But that began my journey in a new way. Yes, coming to faith started the journey, really. But this put on my life's kind of story. One scripture, and it's just as powerful to me today as it was in July 1974. Now, maybe you haven't had just a one scripture epiphany, but maybe there's something that has shaped who you are and what you do. Is there? Okay, well, um, perhaps you, I'm sure, I'm sure you're just looking at me, you're, you're all hoping that I don't point to anybody and actually ask what it is. Uh, I, I pray somewhere, it mightn't been a moment in time like it was for me out there sitting on those hay bales in that hay shed at Cecil Plains, but what, where has God come to you to kind of give you not just salvation, but your life's direction? It doesn't mean you're you know, a Peter Sondergale who goes to the US for training and ends up in Perth and does all these sort of things. It, all that matters is who are you and where will you end up? It, some of you mightn't do anything more kingdom for God than your street. But hallelujah, the people that travel all around the world don't get to do too many things in streets. The people that live there and give some time and effort and love to the people or in your workplace or in your school. Where is your little area of involvement for the kingdom and how has God revived you, helped you to live afresh in that territory? Now for me this is where it started and it's been an up and down journey ever since but one where God has continually been faithful even when I've continually been unfaithful or unsure or uncertain or sometimes a little upset (laughs) or depressed or even a little reactionary. You'd probably be surprised that I could have any of those negative thoughts, um, but that has been known to happen, evidently. So, what I want to do, is, rather than, I mean, the, some of my story and things that uh, have happened will kind of be interweaved here, but you're probably really surprised to wonder why there's a photo of a little town called Tara. Anybody heard of it? Anybody been there? Anybody lived there? I'm just hoping no, no, because <laughs> what, what, the next thing I'm going to say about Tara doesn't sound really good. Although I love Tara and I know a lot of people from Tara. Um, uh, after we planted the church in 1974, August 1974, it was a remarkable time, just a remarkable season. God did a lot of stuff. It was the kind of the uh, hippie t- generation. Who's old enough to remember hippies? You know, people wandering into, into your church with long, the girls with long flowing funny looking dresses and, and uh, thongs, and sometimes, as one did, cowmen, you were still between the toes. 
she, li- she was living in a commune out, not, actually not far from here. And she'd been a dropout from the university. A lot of them had been on drugs. So our first converts were this weird kind of bunch. Now, they're not weird now because a lot of them are still my friends and still around Toowoomba. Some of them are still in our church. But it was a hippie generation and our little church planted stuff. It just didn't have a... It was never very big, but it started that way. And so that was awesome. So it went along for a few years. It was just wonderful. We celebrated. We had a lot of joy. Salvations were happening. And then I linked with a national organization called Logos Foundation. Some of you might have heard of it. And uh, we connected with a church out of Tara. And that church went through a really hard time and divided into three bits. And they weren't talking to each other. They were prophesying against each other. They were throwing religious hand grenades at each other. Uh, It was just a terrible, terrible time. And another brother asked me to go out there and to see if I could minister to them, do something with them. Here's I'm a young pastor. I thought, ah, you know, it felt like I was being thrown to the lions. So I used to drive out Saturday afternoon, meet one group in the afternoon, spend some time with them, and then go around to another group at night, and neither group would talk to each other but they allowed me to talk to separately. And there was a third group that actually left her and moved to um, Miles. And they were meeting out there, and occasionally I'd meet out there. So Saturday I'd do that, get home all hours Saturday night, and then have to do uh, two services here on Sunday. And I can remember it was one hot day driving out to to Tara, and it was kind of, remind me of the Wild West, everything but mistletoe was kind of wandering down the street. You just expected a cowboy town. I thought, God, what am I doing here? God, just what am I doing here? While I was complaining to the Lord, it was like the Lord broke into my life and said, you be faithful here and I'll take you further afield. And so I guess the thing I want to leave with you and for you to look at is that the stories of our life are generally built upon the negative experiences that we have prior to the next positive thing God's going to do or say in our life. Got that? Because so, sometimes we think negativity or something that goes wrong, you know, it's the devil or something, and it might be in some cases, but they're actually stepping stones to the next stage. And so just as Tara, it was like the Lord spoke to me, that if I could be faithful there, very faithful in another's. Another brother asked me if I would go and take on this assignment. And Luke 16, if you want to read it sometime... Luke 16 talks about three areas of faithfulness. And this is part of our story. So we're trying to help each other. What's your story? Where has God intersected into your life? How has he come to you? Yes? Talk about salvation. Maybe you've received an amazing inflowing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some gifts, like you're speaking in tongues, and that's set you free to really worship him in a new way. Maybe there's been miracles or reconciliation in your family, personal healings, whatever. All part of your story. Develop it. But when it comes to your life's work, there are are serious lessons that equip us. And God, like a good teacher, never lets us jump a grade. And here, God wasn't going to let me go just become a little pastor in Toowoomba and then do bigger things that every young male with his ego would like to think he could accomplish uh, there uh, without going through the important lessons of life. And one of them was learning to be faithful in another. That church in its three divisions was not mine. It actually was submitted to another senior pastor, much older than me. He asked me to go and see if I could sort it out. I don't think, I don't know if I did sort it out, but... The great story is that after about a year, the three bits came together and most of the people moved here into Toowoomba. And for many years, and some of them 
One of them is, um, I don't think Cole Patterson's here, is he? Cole's here today. Cole's the um, product of one of those, um, part of that journey, which is, um, I'm sure you know Cole. So it's not only learning to be faithful to others, it's learning to be faithful in the really small thing. This is part of our story. You know, I don't know about you, but I'd love to jump to the more important thing. Where God is wanting me to jump to the little thing. Learning to do the little things well. It's all part of the lesson. And it was a huge part of the lesson that the Lord was not going to let me go any further in life until I could be faithful with another person and the other person turned out that I was submitting to not a good man, not a good man at all. But the Lord wasn't worried about him. He didn't want me to sit here judging him. God was working in my heart to see if I'd be humble enough to submit in a place that was not all that easy. So... These experiences, and then the third one there is actually faithful in money. Um, you know, God's, isn't it amazing? God says, if you're not faithful with unrighteous mammon or money, I won't give you true riches. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, rich, true riches, which is, you know, riches of Christ, are linked with our faithfulness in finance. That's, that's a weird connection, isn't it? Very important. You know, your tithes and offerings, uh, your generosity, and your savings, your, the way you look after your family, the way you run your life or your business or whatever you do, all important. So God makes sure you don't miss any lessons. Who's ever been sacked from employment? Oh, Steve, we've got something in common. Who's been sacked twice from employment? Who's been sacked three times from employment? Well, it looks like I've got the record. So that probably tells you something about me straight away if everybody wants to sack me. Well, the one wasn't quite a sack. It was kind of a downward demotion to the back of a big building into a little office. Um, so, you know, it wasn't... None of them was ruthless as a guy on the left, but the guy on the right is probably how I felt. Um, so everybody was nice about sacking me. Just, you're redundant to our uh, needs, Ian, <laughs> kind of. And the other part of the joy was the three people that sacked me were all pastors, had been senior pastors in my life. Um, and there was, they, from their point of view, good reasons. But when you don't expect it and don't see it coming, it's a shock. Who's ever had a shock in their life? Some life circumstances came your way that you didn't expect. I mean, it could be anything to do with family, health or finance or, or maybe a job promotion that you were thinking, going to rely on. I, the first time I got sacked... The senior pastor, I was in Brisbane. We, Betty and I lived in Brisbane with our family for two years. And the senior pastor called me in. And I thought, and I was only working two days a week, I think, something like that. And I thought he was going to bring me on full time. And I was, you know, yeah, yeah, hallelujah, this is great. I can't wait to see the senior. When I got in there, he, he sacked me. Because <laughs> uh, he didn't really need what he, what, uh, he didn't, couldn't see that I had anything to offer. There so, Longer story than that, but anyway. And so uh, you go in there thinking you get a promotion and you go out knowing you've just been dismissed. And so, you know, proverbially you could have held the umbrella up and walked under the carpet with the umbrella and not made a ripple. Uh, if you kind of get the drift, you know, you feel really small, really small. And, but why does God allow these reversals? Because the big issue in life is humility. You know, when we're writing our story and God's writing our story for us, the big issue is humility because the the really big issue of the cosmos is pride, the negative side of it, because that's what the devil excludes. I want to be bigger than God. And Adam and Eve, you can be bigger than God. 
So it's about pride and arrogance and self. Self is the source, self the destination. It's all about self. It's where I fit into life. It's what I do. And God's, and we, we serve one who's the servant king, don't we? So life in the journey with God, in relating your story, is a journey to the bottom of the cross, the foot of the cross. Journey to the foot of the cross. Very, very important. I love the scripture from 1 Peter. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And then it goes on in the same sentence, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So there's a few ingredients there. Humble yourself. I don't know about you, but I've never learned to really humble myself very well, and that's why God organises the humility exercise in my life, like you're sacked, <laughs> or something goes wrong in my life. I only wish I could learn what it is to humble myself and then probably save myself a lot of pain. I think, okay, God, I need to be a little humbler. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and tomorrow I'll be humbler, and God will love me, and he'll exalt me in the proper time, and life will go better. But it doesn't work like that. I'm full steam into something, and then bang. Oh, where did that come from? Left field somewhere, and you get very humbled in it. Well, as a good friend of mine, a pastor friend in Toowoomba who's been through some tough times this year, he said, actually, Ian, it's not about humbling, it's about humiliation. And that's what it feels like. You feel totally humiliated. And some, you know, when you get sacked and dismissed, what do you go home and tell your wife? Hey, howdy, I just got a raise. No, I just got sacked. <laughs> what does that mean for, you know, wife and kids when we didn't have much money anyway? Uh, it's, it's a struggle. But the whole issue is about humility because humility is the seedbed where God works. So you're writing your story. You need to put up a few little markers down the right to keep reminding you, keep on track with God's story. You know, faithful and small, faithful in another's, faithful in money. Uh, the whole issue of humility. Cast everything upon God. Uh, humble yourself because he'll exalt you at the proper time. Who knows the proper time isn't when you decide? <laughs> yeah, I've mean many times said God now's the proper time only to find out that God didn't think that at all and not only that for a God who's a fast working person he's the slowest person in the universe I reckon when it comes to sorting my life anyway but why is that he's not slow some think he's slow but he's not he does everything at the perfect and the right time he died for us at the right time. God is a God of time. He is the ultimate timekeeper. He knows the right time. Just at our impatience, our selfishness, we want everything to happen in a way and at a time that suits us, self. So we're writing our story. We're putting it together. We're putting a few markers down the right-hand side to make sure we keep on the journey, the pilgrimage. Because I don't know about you, but many times I've wandered off the track. But the grace of God has brought me back on again. Back on again. So, humility, so important. And I think it's wonderful that often in hard times we're feeling anxious. Uh, anybody, feel, anybody ever been through a season of anxiety, worry, stress? Anybody here? You haven't lived if you haven't. God, visit these people with some anxiety. No. <laughs> no, 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 in Jesus' name, no. Uh, but God will, that happens in our life. It just happens. And it's actually a, can be a wonderful season as if we use that to cry out to God in our anxiety and cast it all on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for your life. He wants your story to be better than you want your story to be good. He's more interested in your story than you're interested in it yourself because your story, live for him following the journey, will bring great glory to him and great fulfillment to you and a constant times of reviving. So 
Anyway, that whole place of humility is really important and being dismissed and going up and down. The last time I was dismissed was in 1988. Last time, yeah, I probably, probably about time for another one, isn't it? It's a long time. No, thank you, Jesus. In 88, where um, uh, Betty and I found ourselves dismissed totally this time, with no wage, no nothing, uh, over in a, in a few years of great struggle and challenge. We lived in Fiji for a while. But in, and, and then that's a remarkable story because um, I, I'd, I was gone from the church was, and, and I came back and ended up being back the senior pastor again, which was just a total miracle after being told that wasn't going to happen. And I said, well, God, it's up to you. And God told me not to lift a finger, not to say a thing. He would sort it out. And that's the great thing. You know, if God's joining, taking you on a journey, he'll sort your story for you. He'll sort your story. It's not your energy. It's not you. It's not your greatness or your gifts. Everything's submitted to the Lord. In fact, Paul said, I boast in my weakness. I boast in my weakness. So, um, then we had 20 years of, of wonderful flourishing, really. Uh, and these are some, some of you are familiar with. The Easter Fest flourished, and um, city women have and still flourishing, not Easter Fest, Mayor's Prayer Breakfast, Christian Leaders Network, and different things are happening. The school, uh, it was already built, but it flourished in a new way in this season as well. We, in fact, in those 20 years we lived over there, where's, where's Andrew? Uh, there he is, hope you like it. I uh, hope it's a good hack. You looking after it, Andrew? Good, I don't know about I remember the time when we had the trucks coming past our front gate too, but you can run out with water every morning. A lot of dust. But anyway, uh, it was a good, uh, good, good, good season. Then, who knows that once... Who's, anybody farmers here? Anybody? <laughs> well, when you come to an end of a fruitful season, or if you've got especially horticulture, what do you do? You prune. Is that right? The big prune. And that's not something you eat. <laughs> that's something that happens to you. And yes, we joke about prunes and motions and a whole heap of things. Uh, well, I think that there was some motions uh, during the season, uh, not all healthy and good one, but the vine that produced so many grapes that was so lush and beautiful and stretched for ages down the trellises was cut back to nothing. Who knows that's an ugly feeling when you're in the centre of it? Anybody been pruned here? This was a big prune. And who would like a five-year pruning? No, I didn't like it either uh, over it, but it was important. In fact, before it happened, the Lord spoke to the leaders of, of the church that I'm still currently in from John 15 and other places that he was going to prune us. In fact, that's what it says. But who knows that you get excited when God speaks to you when it actually happens. Sometimes there's a little less excitement. In fact, a heck of a lot less excitement over it. So what is God doing with a pruning? What's he doing? Whoops, 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 whoops. I really... Over. I'll tell you what he's doing. He's killing you. <laughs> Who knows that, you know, Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again. Who knows that Jesus only said to do one thing every day. What's that? Take up your cross, denying self and follow me. So the death, burial and resurrection is a principle of following and journeying with God. So, as you're writing your story, make sure you put death, burial and resurrection on the side under the other aspects as well, because this is important. So, therefore, you're not so surprised when there's a season of pruning. I mean, it's still pain. There's no such thing as painless pruning. 
it, well, when you're watching someone else getting pruned, it's painless for you. But when you're the uh, subject of the pruning, it's not so pain, painless. It's very painful. But, you know, nothing compared to what Jesus suffered on the cross. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. So death and burial. Who knows that resurrection only happens... You've got to have a dead body before you have a resurrection, resurrected body. Is that right? So if there's no death, there's no resurrection. So if you are trying to maintain your life and try to keep it kind of upright and flourish and everything like this and you're t saying no to the purposes of God when he really wants to prune you so that you can be more faithful or more fruitful, if you're trying to stop that, then what you're stopping is the reviving that we heard about before. Because you won't live again. Why do you live again? Because, yes, death, burial and resurrection. There'll be a death season. Sometimes it's just a small thing. You know, you just have to die to your ego in some small area. Maybe it's in a marriage, learning to love and serve your spouse in a new way, or, or a husband and wife serving and loving their children, or the boss or the school teacher or whatever it might be. You know, maybe it's some small area. Sometimes it's huge, like a shift in geography, a shift in vocation, a whole range of things. But, and out of what seems a disaster, as we cry out to God, and why is death and burial important? Because it's a season where we cry out to God. Who knows that 66 of the Psalms out of 150 are what they call Psalms of lament. That means they're seasons of crying out to God in hard times. We don't often think of that, do we? Uh, during those five years... The Psalms of Lament became my best friends <laughs> because you identify with, with what they went through in Scripture. And uh, so, this is... Um, then God, in, in the worst... <laughs> when the pruning started, we ran, the ch our church ran out of money. That was a, a simple answer. Secondly, uh, I came up with what I thought it was a you brilliant plan to uh, go forward with. Only thing is that uh, others, and um, I'm not even sure God, God th what God thought of it, but others didn't think it was so hot. And um, right at that time, in fact, the day after I made the announcement in TCC that um, this is how we're going to try to sort out our future because the money had all gone, and that was, that's the whole story. Don't, don't worry about all this. You know, when God's in something, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, you do at the time, but, but you just rejoice. God's at work. And that's why when another brother or sister is going through a death and burial, through a pruning experience, just stand with them. Don't be Job's comforters. I mean, a lot of people have good advice for others when the other is going through the tough time and you're not. Uh, if you've been through a tough time, you're less inclined to give more advice because you've been through your own tough time and you, you just stand with people. That's all, just be sympathetic. And uh, they might even be doing and saying the wrong thing. They might be reacting. Because sometimes when you're hard time, you don't always smell like Jesus. Sometimes you smell a little bit more like the other place. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's reactions. It's hard. It's getting at you. And, you know, you're upset. Your marriage might be upset. A lot of things can be upset. And that's awesome if people can just stand with you then. Just stand with you. That's all. Don't be Job's friends. Just stand with you. And it is awesome. And as I spend my time traveling around Australia now, I meet leaders and pastors all over this nation uh, that we have had nobody stand with them. And, you know, it's just been a tough time. I was just in Kalgoorlie, and uh, they're so remote, city of 30,000, and that's one of the most beautiful sets of unity I've ever seen in any city in Australia, any city anywhere. 
for that matter. You know why? They're so isolated, none of their denominational heads could help them. They had to work it out together. A small group of eight or ten pastors, and they said many times they'd just get together in their weekly prayer meetings and pastors would burst out and cry tears because of pain in the church or pain in the family or some situation, and they'd just pray, and for years they just built a deep relationship together. And guess what's happening out of that now? Fruitfulness. They just had a Will Graham crusade. Can you imagine Will Graham, Billy Graham's, what, grandson? goes to Kalgoorlie for a crusade, went there and they had hundreds of converts. Just remarkable, in a little city. The mayor was there. Just one of the biggest things that have happened in Kalgoorlie ever. Uh, and just remarkable, thousands turned up. So my life, coming back to my story, just as I made this announcement, the next day a friend had invited me to something in New York. Now New York's like going to Mars for a boy from Toowoomba. Uh, pretty much is. So I went there and ran into something called Movement Day in 2013 first and Movement Day and I discovered that all the things that I've been thinking and believing and hoping for for 40 years, people are well ahead of us, not only in New York, all over the world, where churches are working together to see wonderful things for God. And then two years ago in 2016, some of us went back there and there were 3,000 people from about 400 cities, 95 nations, gathering there for the first ever global mission conference for cities. Now, you know, you might, some of this might be weird and too wild and wonderful for some of you, and perhaps most of you won't travel the world with your ministry or whatever you do, some will, uh, sounds like Peter's already, but all of you will have some place somewhere. All of you will have some place somewhere. And uh, all I'm saying is that when I went to New York, I never expected to find my future in New York. You know, at the height of the problems in Toowoomba, God gave me a new fresh hope in New York. And there I met some people. They invited me into a committee, a global committee for Movement Days. And Movement Days are springing up all over the world now. And, and there's simply a gathering of leaders, not just pastors, um, not just pastors, but um, uh, business leaders, educators, media, artists, all sorts of people who want to discuss together how can they take the good news of the gospel more effectively into their city. And let me tell you, cities around the world are becoming changed because of this. And it's just remarkable. Um, we've had two in Australia now, hosted by the Salvation Army in Sydney. And they were wonderful. A month ago, some of us went to Nairobi in Kenya. No. Oh. We didn't see too any of that. What we saw was traffic jams in a <laughs> jammed up city. Uh, but we saw faith as people from 54 African nations, 40 odd cities came together to believe for the cities of the continent of Africa, which will soon have the biggest cities in the world. And you know what? Just little ordinary pastors, men, women, young and old. Something is stirring across the world. And here we are in Toowoomba, we're part of the journey. You know, you might never leave Toowoomba, but you're part of the journey. We go to Perth and I said, we find people, find Peter. What's all this about? It's King Jesus coming with good news for the cities of the earth. You know, as you're faithful here in the project, as you're faithful in your vocation, in your family, in your workplace, wherever you are, and as you follow Jesus and start to create your story, as you build a seedbed of humility and of faithfulness, God will exalt not only you, but this church and this city into a place that will honour his name. Not honour us, it's not about personalities, it's not about somebody being famous, none of that at all. It's about the purposes of God coming forward. You're writing your story every time you go humbly to the foot of the cross. You're, you're starting to write the next chapter of it. Every town and city in Australia... So, uh, next year, 
I've just been to Perth, as you heard, and it's remarkable, the energy in Perth, uh, to see the gospel go across that city. Just wonderful. There's going to be another one in Sydney, one in Wellington, New Zealand, and even one in Toowoomba that Pastor Sam Jackson is leading, and you'll hear more about that directly where we can get discuss this stuff. And there's one in Dubai, and the one in Dubai... Dubai is the only Arab country where Christianity is really gets some uh, is is permissible, and it's remarkable that they're having one there. And while they're there, they're beginning a young leaders thing, not with 50, 60 leaders to gather 5,000 young leaders in Dallas in 2022. Maybe some of you will be there. That's under 40 young leaders, young compared to me, under 40. And the whole idea is to start to equip and disciple young leaders for the discipling of towns and cities across the globe. Something is exciting happening, folks. A revive, time of revival, fresh encounter. You know, yes, that's very briefly a bit of the story where I find myself at the moment, but your story is equally as important. You know, Martin Luther said, the humblest maid in servant maid in somebody's house is just as important as the greatest preacher if they're both doing it to the glory of God. Nobody is more important in the kingdom. We're all equal. Whatever, wherever you find yourself, you know, some of you may be in aged homes or in disability care or some of you might, wherever you find yourself, it doesn't matter. If we're saying, Jesus, I'm available, help me continue my journey, my story. Lord, write this story. And as I look back, I, I see the, 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 <laughs> the inadequacies and the weaknesses and the mistakes of Ian Shelton, and I'm sure if you ask others, they would add to that list no end. But, but that's not really the issue. It's not the issue of how weak and unable we are as individuals. It's how amazing God is and how amazing it, he is when he takes a surrendered heart or soul and how he can write a new story for you and build you into an amazing future, wherever it is and whatever it is. You know, our God is a good God. He cares for you. Don't go through life without a story. You know, many Christians are faithful in church, and that's wonderful, but when they look back, where's my God story? They've just, maybe they've been nice, and maybe their God story is just living a nice, clean life, and that's fine if that is of God's story. But many of them live without that glint in their eye. You know, as they say, don't die with the music in your heart. What do you hope for in life? What would you like to see? What's your passion? Do you know your gifts? How can God take you and use you? And not only write your story as an individual, that's not about self, but it's about Jesus, but combine you with others, which is because nobody can live out their story in isolation. There's no such thing. It's impossible to be. In Christ is an incorporated term. You can't be in Christ by yourself. It's incorporated. It's who we are together in Christ, baptized into that one body. You know, have a few friends. You don't need many, just a few friends. And how do we do kingdom life together effectively to see a fresh encounter, a fresh season of fruitfulness? Father, I just thank you for this amazing church. It is wonderful in a few years to uh, hear something of what, of, you know, I guess I get most of it from Peter's side, but um, to hear how God's leading him and by association this church. And the story you're writing here, Lord, just, just bless them. Just bless them. Keep increasing them, I pray. And keep widening that story, not only for Peter and the leaders, but for every single person here. Lord, so that every single person here, if they were asked, could get up and relate their story. How God has intersected. How God brought them to faith. How God has 
saved them and healed them and brought them into, even brought them to Toowoomba, put them in the right job, whatever he's done. God, let every single person here have a story. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just encourage you to put a few notes on a bit of paper and see how your story's looking. Some of you already got amazing stories. Others, you cry out for it. You know what? God hears your cry. So God bless you. It's lovely being with you.